Hello, listeners, and welcome to Sobertown. I am King 13, and today you're going to ride with me on the wonderful train into the world of sobriety. And before we do, I have a special guest um, with me, little Deb, and yes, she is a little devil, apparently. We're going to get to know a little bit more about her. But listeners, I want to let you know about our website, SobertownPodcast.com. It really is a one-stop shop for everything to do with sobriety. There is people there that have told their stories. So go and have a listen to um, some of them. They really are inspirational and you might find you'll probably relate to a lot of the people that are there that have dealt with sobriety and where they are in particular stages on their journeys. We have also blogs and some are audio and the rest are going to become audio in the future. We've got links put up there. We have um, photos. We've got lots of different things happening. The resource page, as we speak, is growing daily. And I'm sure that you lot can spend a whole lot of time just finding things that will help you stay sober and hopefully motivate and educate you. So now getting back to my special guest, little Dev from California. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I am good. So she's um, very early in her sobriety. Well, when I say early, she has some time under her belt, which is terrific. She's past the, the white knuckling stage, I would hope. <laughs> For most of us, well, for me, it lasted about 10 to 14 days, and I certainly don't want to go back to that. So why don't you take me back to a little bit about the prior, where we are today, and how you grew up and where this all started? Uh, well, I grew up around a lot of older people, older kids. I was the younger one. Um, so trying to think back about when I had my very first drink, to be honest, I can't even remember um, cause it was just kind of the thing, you know what I mean? It was always in my face and around me. Um, but I think the, the first time I would say that really started the consistent was, um, the first shot I got of whiskey on my 16th birthday. Right. And since I've been sober, I've actually thought about that day a lot. Um, never really thought about it before. Um, but yeah, I think about it now and I kind of see it as the beginning to the end of, <laughs> what came after um, I have a lot of drinkers in my family and around me and um, yeah it just always was a thing when I was growing up never saw it as a negative up until I finally started realizing I had a problem and how bad things were getting so in your family your mom and dad actually drank my mom isn't really a big drinker um, but my dad is a heavy drinker and my stepdad is a heavy drinker. So, and then my brother's eight years older than me. Him and my stepdad would drink and hang out together and, you know, whatever. So um, my brother is still a very heavy drinker as well. So there's only the two of you for the siblings. Is that right? Uh, well, I have an older sister um, who's not, never been really a heavy drinker. Um, mm -hmm. She kind of was the one that went off and, did her thing and was pretty good. Um, but my brother and I stayed pretty consistent with drinking. Pretty much most of my family has, a lot of my family is heavy drinkers. There's someone somewhere, you know, that drinks. Um, my uncle is a very heavy drinker. My favorite person in the world. He uh, is the youngest out of the three. Um, he would 
to the point he would come home from work and have to have his beer and his shot, you know, on his lunch break before he would go back to work. And, you know, we partied a lot when I got older and stuff. Um, but again, at that time, not realizing how bad it actually was with him, you know, um, he ultimately ended up passing away because of it. He was drinking and driving and didn't have his headrest properly. And uh, he was alive for about four years, but he was a, quadri a quadriplegic. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, he passed away from it. So that was something that hit me pretty hard. Um, you would think it would have turned me away from drinking, but I actually kind of dove deeper into it. Um, so yeah, drinking in my family is, and around me has always been a pretty big thing. I think it has for yes. a lot of us. And, yes. and we talked about the fact that, you know, it was the norm. It's what we grew up with. It's what we observed. It's what we witnessed. And, you know, you take guidance from your parents. So if they were doing it, how bad could it possibly be? That's what I would, that's what I would think when all I'd see all our family and friends, my mum and dad, my stepdad didn't drink, but my mom and my mum stopped in her forties. But back then camping, when I was a teenager, you know, there was six or seven or eight families. And then we'd have parties at our house and the relations would come. I mean, did you grow up in California when you were a baby? Where were you born? I was born in Glendale. Oh, you LA. were? Okay. Yeah. You're an LA girl. Okay. Yeah. You grew up in LA? Uh, yeah. Um, in the same place. I was born in Glendale. We lived in the same spot till I was about 14. Uh, but my junior high, high school years, I bounced back and forth between my mom and my dad. Um, my dad lived in the high desert. My mom still lived down there. And then she started moving around. So most of my high school years, I kind of lived all over, but still kind of the same area, Southern California. So how old were you when they separated? Oh, I was a baby. <laughs> I was young. They pretty much were never together in my life for my life. Um, my dad was a limousine driver when I was younger. So he was gone a lot. Um, but my dad was a partier. Um, when I'd go for visits there, he lived at like a party house. All the girls loved me and I was always around the little one, you know, um, but I was always around a lot of partying and stuff like that. Uh, my dad was always a very fun drinker. He's a uh, more angry sober. <laughs> so when he doesn't drink, we're all very much on edge, but, um, so that's kind of what I, as young being around my dad, it was either I didn't see him or that's what I was around. Um, but yeah, my mom and dad weren't together as far as I remember so so your mum met your stepdad I was seven years old when they met you were seven okay yeah I was eight nine eight or nine when my mum when I met my stepdad and he for me turned out to be like my dad for my entire life is that the situation with you uh yeah I mean my stepdad actually lives with me um him and my mom haven't been together for a long time oh okay um, but he's always been very much in my life um, and he's got a lot of health issues and stuff. So we support him and help him. It can be rough sometimes, but he helped raise me. He was very much an important part of my life growing up. So. Yeah. And did you have a good relationship with your biological parents? Um, my dad, I mean, well, when I was younger, he wasn't around much. So it was always very happy to see him uh, <clears throat> when I moved in with him. When I went into seventh grade, that was the first time I ever lived with him. It was very hard. Me and my dad cannot live together. <laughs> um, 
again, when he's not drinking, he, he he's very angry, has a lot of anger issues. Um, and I, we have a great relationship now. Um, as long as we don't live together, we're great. <laughs> um, going over, you know, seeing him or whatever. I haven't actually seen my dad since I quit drinking and he only lives a couple miles away from me. Um, but when we go over there, that's kind of what we always did. We'd sit there, drink, play games, watch movies, you know. Um, so I really haven't had the desire to go over there yet um, as far as socializing. Um, but I'm getting, I'm getting to the point where I think I'm ready to finally go over. What about my mom, your mom? My mom and I don't have a relationship. Um, my mom was kind of like the cool mom. Everybody always came over. Um, I didn't really have very many boundaries when it came to my mom. Um, I pretty much did whatever I wanted because I could, you know, um, she had some issues with it, but I never really had any repercussions for my actions, you know? So I just did whatever I wanted. And as I got older, um, her and my sister lived together. Um, my mom just is a very angry person. And as I've gotten older, I just don't really have, the patience for it um, anymore. Um, she kind of treats my family like crap, so I just don't deal with it. And I've kind of come to the point where as far as drama and all of that in my life, I don't have interest to deal with it. I love my mom, but for my sobriety, for my insanity, I kind of just had to step back um, from the situation. So we don't really have a relationship sadly, because she just doesn't really want to try to fix things. You know, she's very much one of those set in her ways type of people and doesn't communicate. So yeah, we don't really have much of a relationship. Is that the same for your siblings? Um, well, recently I found out my brother and my mom don't really talk anymore, uh, yeah. which is interesting to me because he was the boy, he was the oldest. And that was always her baby boy. Um, but he's kind of gotten tired of it as well. Um, and he's taken a step back. My sister and my mom live together. They're attached at the hip. Um, my sister's kind of like, she was a Marine. She was the athlete. She was the star. She was the one that kind of took off and has always, you know, been able to support herself and do all these things. And my mom's pretty much just followed her around. I love my sister to death, but I don't have a relationship with her because of my mom, because they live together. So sadly, I missed out on my relationship with her and my niece and my nephew growing up. But and that's the thing, you know, when you're growing up, do you feel like you did miss out on certain things? I mean, you had them, you know, splitting up. I mean, you didn't have a normal cohesive childhood, you know, where the parents stayed together and that's all you knew. Um, how do you think that that affected you when you went through, like, just even elementary school into high school? It was rough for me once I hit junior high and high school because I moved around so much. In that time frame, I probably went to 12 different schools. Um, my brother and sister, they stayed in one spot. They got to go to the same high school and graduate and, you know, all of these different things. Um, before my mom moved in ninth grade, I, you know, tried out for the softball team and made the team and stuff like that. Um, and then I got, I moved, 
I went and lived with my dad. Um, my dad wasn't really a fan of me playing sports or anything. Uh, he just had no interest. Um, and anything I did wrong, he would kick me out. So then it was back to my mom and then she started moving and to different cities. And it was like, every time I moved one place or the other, it was a different place. So for, for me, it was really hard. My junior high and high school years, I felt very alone. I didn't really have a lot of friends. I had some friends that I grew up with, but I wasn't around them, you know, from moving and everything. So it, it was pretty rough as far as junior high and high school. I, I can totally relate to you there because I went to six elementary schools and it's not fun. There's only six years. And so once you make a friend, you're on the hop again, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And even when you get to high school, that is, can be even more cruel because you've got hormones and God knows, you know, all sorts of things. And kids are, you know, they're finding out who they are and, and you know, their identities and what have you. So that can be pretty rough if you yeah. have nobody. Um, so what happened sort of during those high school years? Did you end up making like a friend that, you know, like because you couldn't have been on your own the whole time? Well, I hope not. Um, well, once I, well, once I, my dad had kicked me out the last time um, <laughs> in 10th grade. Um, then I was with my mom and then. I decided to go on to independent study. Uh, I wasn't really a fan of school, dealing with new kids all the time and all of that aspect and stuff like that. Um, so I did independent study, which I did great. I liked being able just to do my work at home, going in if I needed to, that kind of thing. I ended up my senior year moving back in with my dad and um, my stepmom had lived down the hill where I was going to school and I was in my senior year finishing up and then she ended up losing her job and then I never had a way to go back to school so I didn't finish high school so that was something that had bothered me later on I ended up getting my GED um, but it just didn't really seem like anybody really cared about my education you know what I mean so I eventually just didn't really care and it just never happened you know as far as graduating and having all those experiences that kids get to have in high school and stuff like that. So. So, yeah, that's, that's a very interesting point. It seems like there was just so much instability around you that no one was really guiding you into what your future education was going to be or talk to you about what even you would like to do moving forward after high school. There was no guidance there for you. Yeah, none. None. Really. So this all this was all in this was still in the Los Angeles region. Uh yeah, I mean when I lived with my dad, my dad lived well at the time before we moved to this side of the desert, he lived out in Palmdale. Um but with my mom, it was all basically it was LA County still, yeah. That's a pretty that could be a pretty interesting place to uh go through your early adulthood. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's not easy. I mean, where we lived and grew up, I grew up around gangs. Um, you know, moving around a lot of gang stuff and things like that. It was easy for me to fall into the wrong crowd. Um, so my high school years, I mean, with my dad, I behaved better. I don't know. It was weird. I had a lot of structure with my dad. Um, I had to constantly be on my toes, but looking back, I actually appreciated it. I had good grades. I had decent friends. You know what I mean? Um, 
even though my dad was a bit of a hard ass, but with my mom, I didn't have that. And so I just pretty much screwed everything off, got into things, you know, I shouldn't have. And you know what I mean? So, um, that was, yeah, that was basically my high school years. So elaborate a little bit more on the things that you got into, because this is all, it all contributes to where you are now. I mean, um, you talk about the gangs and so what, yeah. was, what was happening throughout those years? Um, well, I mean, so where I grew up originally, like through elementary school, the first, you know, 14 years, um, the same people had lived there. Like we all grew up together as kids, but some were older and there were gangs and stuff. And then the younger ones, eventually, as they got older, got into it because it's, you know, family dynamics. Um, but I still grew up with them, you know. So eventually I actually started to, uh, in ninth grade, I got into drugs um, and kind of got followed into that scene or whatever. Um, when I lived with my dad, I didn't do anything like that. Um, but once I moved back with my mom, even if we, once we moved away, I was still in contact with them you know, and find ways to go and hang out and, you know, stuff like that. Um, I kind of, I guess you could say, resent my mom a little bit for not doing anything to stop the situation. Um, she's one of those that kind of just doesn't take responsibility. You know, I'm the certain way I am with my daughter because I don't want her to go through anything like that. I mean, I'm not like a total hard ass or anything. She's very much my mini me, but the way that I raised her, she has very little interest in, you know, things like that. She doesn't run the streets, you know? Um, but, um, yeah, so I, I kind of have some resentment, I guess, towards my mom because of that. I mean, as I've gotten older, I've let go of it. For me, I'm just like, my mom's getting older. Like, let's just move on, whatever. Um, but honestly, she's just a very mean person. <laughs> it sounds terrible. Um, she's never liked our spouses, um, at all. And so she's always just mean to them. And my husband is a very likable guy. Everybody loves him because he's very happy all the time. He's always helping people, whether it's their cars or something at their house or, and she is just downright mean to him. And so I finally got to the point where I was just over it because there's no reason for it. You know what I mean? And um, so, yeah, I just, I pushed all that away, but I, I know that, um, I, I have some resentment towards her for it, but at the same time, I feel like it made me a better mom because I, you know, I know what to watch out for and, you know, things like that with my daughter and she's a good kid, you know, so I think I've done pretty good on that aspect. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm sure you have. And, and you're right. You witness these things and you've learned a lot, you know, because I mean, I haven't really known you that long. You came into our app and our groups and what I love about you is you just embraced the whole entire thing. You've worked your butt off. You turn up at every meeting. You, you've got your own, like, your own group of friends so quickly. I see your name everywhere on the app because, I mean, little dev, you know, little devil, you can't miss it. <laughs> and, um, and I'm thinking, there she is again. This is fantastic. You turn up at all the Zooms. You really have embraced your sobriety and you're really, really working at it. I always say, yeah, I'm a bit obsessed too. You know, it's the addict coming out of me. I'm like all or nothing. You know, mm -hmm. like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to, you know, give it, a, give it my all. And I just was so impressed with you. I, that's why I thought, you know, there's going to be so many listeners who are young out there who are early into their journey, who are struggling, and they just don't know 
where to turn or how to get help. And from what you've told me so far, you've had to learn how to take care of yourself. And even with running the streets or the gangs or whatever you were doing, you must have felt a part of something because we all want to belong. You know what I mean? If you didn't have those school friends, you had these friends and people that you knew that you grew up with. And that was really like where you belonged. You must have felt that in your heart. Yeah. Yeah, it gave me a sense of belonging because once I started moving around, I still had contact with the people I grew up with. Granted, as they all got older, sadly, their lives turned towards the gangs, like the younger ones that were more my age or whatever. But they were still the people that I knew that I grew up with. So I would retreat back to them whenever I could because that was really the only solid ground that I had growing up. So, yeah. It was kind of like they were the only friends that I had, and, you know, that's where I belonged. Yeah, so moving forward after high school, did you do further education or what happened then when you became... Because um, you started drinking at 16. So now we're at the point where you, what, you take... Were you drinking prior to 16? You weren't. I mean... You were just doing drugs I, or I may have had... I may have had a drink here and there, but it wasn't anything serious. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a, a consistent thing. Right. Yeah. So bring us up to speed. What happened from 16 on? Well, (laughs) um, 16. So once I hit 16, a whole new world got introduced to me. Um, the rave scene. Um, and then that's when, uh, yeah, ecstasy kind of came into my life. That became a big part. And what's interesting is my sister is pretty straight edge before she joined the military. When she got into the military, she was still, she's still pretty straight edge, but then she started to drink a little bit, you know, or whatever here and there. Um, but my sister actually dove pretty hard into the rave scene. And so she would come out from Oceanside or whatever and pick me up. We would go to raves and, you know, had this whole group of people that we met there. Um, so from... 16 till 18 that was pretty much my consistent life as far as that goes um I met some people and then when I moved in with my dad the last time I was 18 going on 19 and some people that I had met at one of the raves we would meet up they lived up here and I started hanging out with them and then I ended up meeting his brother, because they were a married couple. Mm-hmm. At 19, I got married to his brother. And at 20, I had my daughter. Wow. Yeah, it was a very fast, stupid thing. I don't regret it because I have my daughter. Um, and she's the only one I was able to have. So I don't regret it. Um, but that became a whole new start to other things <laughs> I, <was laughs> I love it I love it I'm looking at you and you're just like shaking your head smiling thinking oh god is this all gonna come <laughs> it's just oh, different it's different when you hear it's different when you hear it out loud you're just like oh geez what but it's mean? it's just your past it's not who defines yeah. you now and the listeners are probably sitting there themselves going oh yeah yeah raves yep yep ecstasy yep yep good yep. right there and they probably could even maybe think about where you're going with this but anyway you tell your story go on but so from that point once I got well when we started dating or whatever it was more drinking drinking was the consistent thing after that point uh we got married uh well 
before we had our daughter, we were both heavy drinkers. We would always go to friends' houses on the weekends, you know, wake up, start over the next day, whatever. Yeah, we drank a lot. Um, and then I had my daughter and after she was born, we still drank pretty heavy. I mean, I took care of my daughter, but we still drank, we drank pretty heavy. Um, later on, we started to have issues and I learned, I did not know this. The reason he was a heavy drinker was because he had, um, he was diagnosed with a sketoid behavior. His family has a long history of mental illness. Um, his brother's schizophrenic, you know, bipolar, whatever he would self-medicate. Me, I was, you know, I had my daughter at 20, 21. I drank a lot. It was kind of how I started, but you know, we hung out with people you know, having fun. I had no idea that he was self-medicating as far as his mental illness. It basically helped to keep his head straight when he drank, when he was sober, he had to deal with what was going on in his head. Right. And, um, so we ended up having a lot of issues. We ended up, uh, divorcing ultimately, eventually, a uh, few, a few years later, my daughter was about two. Um, and yeah, he kind of, after some time, um, a few years later, I met my current husband in October, we'll be married 11 years. Um, he adopted my daughter, um, but I was still pretty consistent, heavy drinker. Um, my daughter's biological father, eventually at one point was just like, I can't do this anymore. And he, he gave up his rights to her um, and he took off and he moved to Utah where he now is married with four children. So yeah, <laughs> figure that one out. <laughs> um, but he's stopped drinking, learned to deal with his stuff, whatever. I don't really talk to him, but, um, and I've been with my husband. My husband's never really been a heavy drinker. Uh, when we first met, he was 19 going on 20. So it was a thing, you know, we would drink, hanging out, drink, whatever. Um, oh. But, Right. Two weeks after we got married, he went off to basic training. Um, so he was gone for a while. Um, and then uh, I still drank um, kind of consistently. He, again, was not really a heavy drinker. He would drink, but he could leave it. You know what I mean? He, he didn't need to. You know, this whole process has been the one thing that's been really good because he doesn't need to drink. He doesn't care if there's alcohol around. Um, so it helps a lot. Yeah. Um, but um so yeah that's kind of where we've been now I guess we've been married 11 years and we're in Apple Valley now and yeah <laughs> so you meet your husband your current husband he doesn't drink that much do you continue throughout those 11 years and congratulations by the way do you continue to drink or do you Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the beginning he did drink or whatever, but he, like I said, he can leave it. Um, I still, I can, I consistently drink my stepdad. When we moved here, my stepdad's lived with us. Um, we've been here for six years and my stepdad has always been a trigger for me. Whenever there's an excuse to drink, he drinks just like I would drink. We would drink together, you know. Um, my husband would just go to bed and leave us drinking or whatever. 
Um, so I always had him to drink with, you know, for the most part. Um, there's a lot of times I would drink alone, but, um, so yeah, that, that's been one thing that's kind of been a trigger is my stepdad. We've always drank together. We've always, we're kind of the same way as far as drinking. We get upset, we drink, you know, there's always an excuse. You know what I mean? And there can always be an excuse. We all yeah. know that, right? Yeah. And don't even, in the end, you don't even need an excuse. It's just what, you know, right. yeah. just feel like it. Yeah, that's right. Just do it. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always, I always drink consistently. Um, eventually up to a certain point, I stopped drinking liquor. Um, it was very rare occasionally because my stepdad only drinks liquor. I might have a shot or something, but I stopped because I would go through, um, a 750 on my own. Like it got to that point and it, it would get pretty bad. It would get pretty dangerous. Um, this might sound weird, but I have a thing with water. <laughs> my body temperature runs high because I have lupus. So my body temperature is always up. Like it runs hotter than most people. When I drink, um, once I get to a certain point, um, water would always cool me or whatever. Um, I've fallen asleep in the bathtub. I flooded our house um, in the shower. I fell asleep, but I was sitting on the drain <laughs> and we have one of those low showers and it ended up like pouring out everywhere. And so as far as liquor goes, I cut back, I cut the liquor out because it was getting to a danger point. You know, I've fallen asleep in my garage with my garage door open, which, you know, could be dangerous, you know, um, stuff like that. I have a pool um, and I got to a point where I'm like, I never know if I'm going to get in the pool. You know, if it's especially if it's like summertime, um, because there's a pool, everybody will always find me in it. all my clothes and all. I just I'm I drawn to water when I when I get drunk. I don't know why. Um, but so I, I stopped drinking liquor. So it was just beer. Um, but I mean, I was getting to the point I could polish off an 18 pack on my own. I just don't stop. You know, there's no stop, you know. So once I cut out the liquor, I was just drinking more beer and then more and then more. So then it was getting to the same point that I was getting at with the liquor. And I think that's when I finally started to realize, you know, there's a couple of times when I'd wake up and my whole body was shaking. I'm sure I was close to alcohol poisoning or something, you know, um, my body temperature was so high. There was no cooling me down. My husband would have to put cold rags wow. on me. Um, and the last few times that happened, that's when my brain started to finally, this is like not good. I needed to do something to change things because I started to see myself not being around much longer if I didn't. Um, I kept just trying to think I could moderate, um, but I would start to moderate. And I would do okay. And, and then slowly each time that I would drink, it would become more and more again. And so I'm just like, yeah, you're not one of those people that can do that. You just need to stop. <laughs> so. I, you know what? Um, so many people tell me yeah. that they try and moderate and they try and cut back because you think that you're in control. And I don't even know if at that point you realize that we're not because we've said, you know, it's the actual substance itself the alcohol, the ethanol, the poison, the stuff yeah. that we put in cars. No one told us that that is what you're going to get addicted to. You drink enough of it, it's going to happen. I've said it time and time again. The process is the same for everybody. It's just the length of time it takes 
for you to get to the point where it grips you and it's got you in that trap and you need a drink to feel normal. It's as simple yeah. as that. Um, I was going to say to you, you don't have to sort of, you don't have to tell me, but did you get yourself in any strife? Do you have some like stories that really sort of scared you apart from obviously all the water stories? Almost, yeah, killing myself many times water-wise. Uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely one of those people. I mean, when I, when I drink, when, once I get to a certain level, I have no control. I, my behavior isn't always all that great. Um, my husband and I will, he's had his issues as far as other women goes in the beginning of our marriage type thing. You know, he was only 20 when he went off to basic, um, never really lived on his own. Um, didn't have a lot of relationships, you know, so through about the beginning half of our marriage, it was, it's super rocky. Um, and with my drinking, I got super angry. So when I drink, I got to the point to where I didn't trust myself anymore either. Um, whether it's talking to people or things like that, communicating with people I shouldn't, I noticed that it was more and more of, I don't know if it was getting even or seeking something that I didn't have. Now that I've been sober, my husband and I, we get along good. Um, I guess I'm more understanding to who he is. He's not an emotional person. He's not a communicator. You know, he pretty much shuts down at anything that's serious. Um, so when I was drinking, that was a huge problem for me because um, I felt like nothing was ever changing between us. Um, so when I would get really drunk, then I would reach out to other people, um, which that's not who I am. You know, sober, I love my husband. I have no interest in anybody else. Um, but drunk, I didn't care, you know, and that was something I was worried about that could end up, you know, hurting my marriage is things ending up getting to a point where there's no coming back, you know, from or whatever. Um, so yeah, that was another big thing that I started thinking about too. Um, I didn't realize that even though I noticed that I was, you know, seeking other things, I never really realized how much the alcohol was involved in it. You know, now I'm actually to the, I was, I've always been very much a person that needs people that needs people around you know, that type of thing. That's why my house is the hangout house. People just show up here without even telling me half the time. I'm like, what the hell? But whatever, you know, the weekends, there's always people here, you know, later today we have people coming over, um, but these people aren't drinkers. So like certain people I'm allowing to come back yet so far, but um, yeah, my house has always been that way. But because of that, I've also allowed people to take advantage of us um, because they know it's easy because we like people around. Um, and since I haven't been drinking, I've noticed that I don't care if people are around or not. And I didn't realize how much it, the alcohol was making me feel that way. Like I didn't realize at all that the alcohol had that much of an impact on my life. You know what I mean? Um, because yeah, now, like I said, I, whether my husband and I have issues, my reaction isn't to talk to other people or, or seek something else. You know what I mean? I'm fine. Um, and as far as other people go, I don't care if other people are around. I mean, I like to see people still, um, but it's not a need. It's not required. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, that's another big reason with my drinking is 
I'm okay. I'm, I'm happy not wanting to, or have that need to have people around and have these connections and you know what I mean? Well, I do. And you've learned so much in just your sober days. It's astounding. Cause this is stuff that I was connecting, you know, months into my journey and um, coming up to I think what I believe is the first big milestone. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but um, can I? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 30 days. The first 30 days are amazingly just, you just feel on cloud nine. You know, there is a thing I do believe is the pink, pink cloud, but you've had a lot of clarity very, very early. And I just did another podcast for the listeners just so they know with Karina about um, the 20 things that happened to you within the first 30 days. And you have just ticked off quite a lot of them. Um, obviously, you're a very social girl. I can tell now why you're so popular on the app already. It hasn't taken you long at all. And, you know, the one thing that um, you'll probably develop over time, and I think you've probably put some of it in place, is your boundaries, the people that you are letting back into your life because being so generous and having your door open you know, yeah, great. Your place, let's go little devs. It's a place to hang out and have some fun, drink some beers. Yeah. yeah, great time. And, you know, you've got to make yourself a priority, which I think you are doing. And it's fabulous that you've got a supportive husband. I know that you shared a story on the app just the other day about your husband. And I think that you should share it with the listeners because it was really sweet when you were triggered and he brought you the yeah. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I love where I live. Um, my neighbors are great, um, but some of them have lived here for a long time and everybody knows everybody like in the houses that surround me, uh, which is great. Um, but everybody here drinks, you know, you can easily at any point just walk over there and have some drinks walk across the street <laughs> and have drinks. People just show up at my house. <laughs> yeah. People show up in my house and they just show up with their beer, you know, and um, they all know that I've, you know, quit drinking or whatever. And they've yeah. all been great about it. The Good. first time my neighbor next to me, and he's been, he's my drinking buddy. We would stay up for hours. Doesn't be like, I'm going to bed. Cause we both love music. We'll just sit there listening to music. And um, first time he came over, he had a beer and he goes, so Dustin told me you're not drinking. Do you want me to leave? Well, at this point I was okay. Um, it was the first time I was around anybody drinking. Well, in that setting. And I was like, no, you're fine. I was kind of like, I need to see how I am. You know, at some point it's going to happen. Um, and so it was fine. Well, the other night, my husband was working on his car. So yeah. he came over and he came over and he asked me, he had beer and he's like, is it all right? You like, are you still not drinking? I'm like, you're good. It's fine. Well, then the neighbor across the street saw, you know, they were working. So he came over. And he talked to me about it. He's actually somebody when we drink, we get into a lot of in-depth conversations. He's one of those that likes to really dive into stuff. So we're talking about it because he knows he has a bit of a problem um, and he has a very bad anger streak. Um, sometimes we've actually had to get involved with him, with his family. And he knows it, you know, things have been brought up. He's finally getting it. Um, so anyway, so he was there and they were drinking and it was fine. A little part of me was just like, this is weird. We're all hanging out. I'm not drinking. You know, it was in the back of my head, but I was okay. Well, then my stepdad came out and he had a beer and he's not even really a beer drinker. 
So I got irritated because he's one of those that's like, beer does nothing for me. I have to drink like a hundred. He prefers liquor and he knows I'm not buying alcohol. I'm not gonna buy you alcohol. If you want alcohol, go get it, figure it out. I'm not spending money on alcohol for you and I'm not drinking. It's just not gonna happen. So they were there drinking. So in my brain, I was rather annoyed and triggered because now everybody's drinking. He's drinking, I'm not drinking. And I was, and it was a lot of frustration with him because I don't feel the support, especially because when I was drinking, he told me that I had a problem and I should get help or whatever. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> you too, but you know, whatever. So um, anyway, so yeah, I was super frustrated. Well, eventually I just, I was getting a headache and I was like, it's time for me to go inside, go to bed. It was getting late anyway. It was like 10 or something. Um, so I said bye to everybody and um, my husband knew I was feeling a kind of way. So he finished up and he left them out there. He's like, all right, guys, I'm going to bed. Um, I told him I was hungry. I was like, I need something <laughs> because I was already kind of triggered. I was like, I need something. So he made me a quesadilla. And um, I, I, the only thing I can tell him was thank you for not drinking with me. You know, they offered him a beer and he didn't drink. He's like, I'm good. And he, he was just like, you know, so he brought me food and brought it to bed and just came and hang out with me, watch TV and that's all I can say is just thank you for not drinking with me. And it was, I felt, I felt really good. And I was calm by that point. And even though he's not really much of a communicator or anything, you know, him not taking that beer shows that he understands and he wants to be supportive, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a really good feeling. It was rough, but it was, it was a good feeling. It helped a lot. You know what? I think that, I just think that's the sweetest thing. It's so nice. But maybe we shouldn't tell too many people that that because they'll be can then can we borrow your husband? He sounds like a good <laughs> one. <laughs> now, little Deb, I just want to go back a bit because you talked a lot about, you know, this really it was quite an unstable childhood with not a lot of boundaries, even though your father was fairly strict. So I don't know if you want to just expand and a little bit more about that because I'm getting the sense that you can't go really through all that and not have trauma and I know you're very early in your sobriety but are you dealing with the trauma have you had those feelings come up um so the biggest thing that I probably dealt with um those people that I grew up with the older people um actually it's weird thinking about it. That is the first time I ever got drunk. So being around the older, because there were older people that were older than me um, that were in the gangs or whatever. But see, I knew them since I was four. You know what I mean? So I trusted them. Um, and being around them, and they lived right next door to us. So it wasn't like I was far from home or anything. Um, they gave me a drink. I don't really remember what it was. And it was, I think that was the first time I really had alcohol. Um a lot of the night is a blur, but I was sexually assaulted by the group. Um, and that was basically why I guess they had me there and was giving me alcohol. Um, and for a long time, I held on to a lot of anger. You know, um, I drank a lot and it would come up. It's weird because it would come up when I was drunk, frustration. I never really had anybody to talk to about it. Um, you know, so my family members knew about it. Um, but communication isn't really a thing. 
my mom pretty much just blamed me for it and never really um, communicated about it. Um, and so, yeah, I think I held on to it for a long time because of that. Um, but recently, I don't really think about it. But when I have, I've, I'm kind of at peace now. Um, I think not drinking definitely helps because I know the alcohol. It's funny, like you drink when you're upset or angry. And because you're like, I want to forget. But at the same time, it actually makes it a lot worse. You know, <laughs> so it's, exactly right, it's huh? kind of productive. Um, but yeah, so not drinking is definitely helped because it's allowed me to, you know, process, I guess you could say, but without the anger or the frustration, um, that goes along with it. Um, I just process it and I've been able to move past it. Um, so yeah, that was definitely something that, you know, it was a big source to my drinking, I would say. You were what, 16, do you think, at the time? No, I was younger than that. Uh, this is before we moved. I think I was like 13. Oh, my God. Okay. That's why That's why before I'm like, I don't remember my first drink. But then once I thought about it, that was the first time I got That's because you've, you've blocked that one so far down just to forget about it and be able to cope. That's, that is a lot of trauma, little Dev. Did you ever get therapy or some professional help with all just everything? Um. No, I mean, I never really got therapy. One place that we had moved to, I was in 10th grade. Um, I, on my own, started seeing the school counselor because I was having a lot of night terrors. Um, yeah. It was actually right when we lived there is when 9-11 happened. Um, it's sad. I don't always remember <laughs> the years and stuff. I remember how old or where we lived, and that's what helps me remember how old I am and what was going on because I moved so much. But um, I would... I would see the counselor on my lunches. That's where I would go because I was new to the school. Didn't really fit in. Um, it was predominantly uh, Hispanic and I was this little white girl that just didn't really fit in with anybody. Um, and so I would actually on my lunches go spend time with the counselor. Um, so that actually helped me a lot um, during that time. Um, but other than that, I never had therapy or anything. So the counselor never reached out to your parents and got them involved because your mother turning a blind eye. No, because by then, I mean, it had been a few years. Yeah. By yeah. that point, um, I never came out right and told my mom. I told my stepdad, my right. sister. My sister was away. Um, she was in the military at this point. She had just joined. Well, she left for basic when I was in seventh grade. This happened in 10th grade. Um, but so she knew, my brother knew, um, but my mom eventually found out, um, but my mom doesn't deal with things. She yeah. just ignores it or deals with it with anger. Everything's, you know, anger and just whatever. So, you know, there was never really any communication there about it. When um, your brother and your siblings found out about this, you'd moved to another place, right? You'd moved out of the area and... yeah. It was a different time. So, as I said, you're early in your sobriety. What can you, can you think back to when you realized that you had an issue? And as I like to call it, an alcohol use disorder. But did, when you realized, because I know for myself, I knew, but I wasn't taking any note. 
I knew that something wasn't right, that I was drinking too much and I didn't know what it was doing to me because I hadn't discovered that yet. Mm. I just thought, yeah, okay, I'm just getting a high tolerance. That's all. That's all that's happening. And I was really ignorant and really silly when I look back, but I didn't, they say you don't know what you don't know. Mm. Um, So we all shouldn't feel silly because we weren't educated about this. And I really wish that sometimes in schools they would do more about educating these young children about the effects of what it does to your mind and body. And I know Karina's talked about, you know, that too. And I, I myself would even like to be able to go around in schools and do the same thing, you know, before they get into high school, mm-hmm. before they get into puberty, because that's hard enough in itself. Like you were dealing with all these other things, you're moving. I mean, you had a lot on your plate. Did you, were you depressed when you were, when you were younger and going through your young adulthood? Yeah, um, I ended up resorting to cutting. I was a cutter for my high school years um, for a lot of my adult life, um, which is another major thing. I, I I did that a lot, especially when I was drinking. Drinking yeah. was more of the trigger um, for me turning to that because I would just get so depressed. I wouldn't care about anything, you know, and that was a big thing is, you know, being drunk. I didn't care. And that's something that I, I learned that isn't good, you know, especially being a mom um, uh, with a daughter who has depression issues, you know, especially with the genetics from her biological father's family, I have to watch out for. Um, but um, yeah, so that, that was my way of dealing with it was cutting. Um, and I hit it well. My dad never knew. I mean, I'm sure now they probably have figured it out because I have scars everywhere. You know what I mean? Um, but as far as my teenagers, I hit it pretty well. Um, my mom's made, never talked to anybody really about it. My mom, when she gets mad, just says stuff and made a comment. She's like, it was scars on your arms. And I'm like, oh, so you knew what I was doing, but never. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of how she, uh, again, that's how she deals with stuff. It's just in anger. She never really did anything about anything, so. My God, girl, you are one strong woman. I'm sitting here looking at you in a lovely, you know, environment on the train here and thinking, wow, she's got some beautiful artwork too up and down her arms, I've got to say. <laughs> yeah, but you've been through a lot and you're, you're, just, you're just an inspiration and I'm sure people out there again are listening going, wow, wow, I, this, is, this is what I have done. And look, you may continue on into therapy. I think you'll find as you grow into your sobriety, what's going to happen is all those things that we suppress because it happened for me because I'm further ahead than you, it just they just rise. They do because the reason I drank was to numb, to forget, didn't right. want to numb or didn't care. Like you, I got to the point where I just didn't care. I thought I was going to die. I resigned to the fact that, yep, that's it. Too far to turn back now. And the thought of living without alcohol scared the absolute crap out of me. I thought, what am I going to do? I can't live without alcohol. I never have. Yeah. Like, excuse me. That's, it was like the other half of me. And I was so fooled and so wrapped up in what I thought it was doing for me. And now I can sit here and know that it was absolute bullshit, basically. That, as you said, it just made things worse. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, that... Yeah, once you deal with these things, you're going to feel so much better about life. We can't change what happened to us, unfortunately, but I know that you're doing a fabulous job with your daughter and you're so aware of 
the effects that it did have on you. That's why I said you had this clarity that's quite incredible for such a such a young woman. Um, and so, what age were you when you realised that you did? Because I keep thinking back, and my age keeps getting younger and younger. <laughs> when you think you had an issue with it, like when I know that it got bad. Yeah, like I think I got a problem with alcohol. I mean. To be honest, I've been going pretty hard with drinking since I was 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been pretty consistent. But getting myself, there was a lot of partying and stuff, obviously, in my early 20s. But getting to the point to where it didn't matter if I was around people and drinking on my own. Um, it's been the past uh, probably five years is when it's gotten really deep to the point to where it wasn't like, needing to be partying or whatever that I would just drink on my own. So yeah. in my garage just drinking, you know, by myself or whatever. So it's probably been about the past five years, but really coming to the realization that I have a problem was probably the past year is when I've really started to like register it and think about it. You know what I mean? And start to sit there and be like, well, that was stupid. That can't happen again. This is really getting to be a problem. So it would probably be within the last year or two. Yeah, and 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 it's funny because once that thought comes into your head, it doesn't seem to go away because let's face it, I call alcohol the devil. That's exactly where that bastard wants us. He wants us isolated, alone, drinking, got us all to himself, and he's as happy as a camper until we don't breathe anymore. That's basically what he wants. Doesn't discriminate, doesn't give a shit who we are, but we're all going to end up the same way and that's basically dead if we do it long enough and hard enough how I'm still here sometimes I don't know I listened to my body when it was basically clapping out on me and everything was hurting and I just I felt like I was dying I literally was dying um so when did you decide to stop and what motivated you to say I have had absolutely enough did something happen or was it just a decision that you just made well so it was since I started my journey I, I restarted once, um, but before that, I think it was kind of everything coming together. You know, I, at 24, I was diagnosed with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. I've been in remission um, the past couple years. I mean, the damage that was done is done, but um, I get checked periodically and I'm still in remission, but, you know, I had to take a lot of medication. I was bedridden. I worry about, you know, the damage that has been done to my body. And I started thinking about that. I don't want my daughter to grow up without her mother. You know, there's so much conflict, you know, as far as family goes. Like the last thing I would want is everybody fighting over her because I'm gone or, you know, whatever, Um, you know, stuff like that. Um, And then again, you know, as far as my marriage goes, I mean, neither of us are perfect. My husband has his faults and I have mine, but my biggest fault was definitely my drinking because I would make everything so much more worse than it needed to be. Things would drag on for so long. Um, and, and yeah, it, that was basically where the two things is, you know, my daughter, you know, seeing, you know, from her perspective, you know, certain comments she would make is she would say something and be like, Oh, never mind. You're not going to remember anyway, you were drinking or, um, you know, a lot of the, the comments would be made and it would be around drinking because that's what she's always known. I was typically a happy drunk and, you know, I was fun or whatever. But at the same time, 
You know what I mean? I, I didn't want my daughter to see me that way or to always relate it to, yeah. oh, you were drinking, yeah. I don't remember, or yeah. I kind of want to get up tomorrow anyway, you're drinking or, you know, whatever. Um, and like I said, with my marriage, I, I want it, I want it to improve. And even though I know it's two-sided, both of us have to work on it. Like with my drinking, it, it wouldn't have mattered, even if he made changes. You know what I mean? It still would have made everything worse. Um, so yeah, before I started the journey, that's when things finally started to get into my head. And then just one day I was hungover. Um, it, it was actually the night I was drinking and I was depressed and upset with how much I had drank. And I got on Facebook um, and I just, I searched just a search um, for, you know, like, I know AA is big. I, I don't do AA personally, but, you know, stuff like that for people that are mm -hmm. drinking or whatever. And, you know, I got on one of the groups and started, you know, just talking to people and, and then somebody recommended the app to me and got on the app. And ever since then, that's where I've been. And I've been trying to, I go to all the groups and everything and the, the Zooms and stuff, because I know if I slack off a little bit, then I'll go backwards, you know, and, you know, on those days where I feel triggered, it's nice because I'm like, I know the next day there's going to be a Zoom or, you know, and it's that one thing that that's, gives me something to look forward to, to to know, help me know that I'll get back on track or stay on track, I should say. Yeah. So you planned it. You had this plan that you were going to do this because as we discussed, you know, people try to moderate first and then just find that, yeah, you know what, and then you start to let yourself down. You can become quite sort of despondent with the whole thing, like, oh, I just can't do it. And you still can't work out why, like, what's wrong with me? Well, there is nothing wrong with you. Let me tell you, listeners. <laughs> it's just the grip of the alcohol has got you. And yep. I agree with you. You've got to have something to look forward to, these little things. Um, you've got to spoil yourself, take care of yourself. And the Zooms really do help because, you know, as they say, what do we always say? Connection's the opposite of addiction, right? Yep. And yep. my guest the other day, Jay, was saying about the three Ps. And he said, you know, basically the preparation or the planning, you've got to practice, you've got to have patience, and he's had another one now, you've got to persist. Mm -hmm. So you're really on the right track. And practicing is what you are doing. It's what I am doing. I mean, I'm like you. I stay connected because I am not in my home country. I'm not around, you know, as I said to you, where I lived in San Diego for 15 years prior to where I am now, currently in Florida. And it really does, you know, you make life, I've made lifelong friends in such a, a small, just such a short time. The app that we're talking about, guys, too, is the I Am Sober app. And it's just basically a counter and it gives you the days. And so you have, if you sign on and you go to day zero, you start at day zero, there's so many other people, there can be thousands signing on that particular day. And what you'll find is you'll find a core group of people that you'll just start commenting, you know, on their posts and they'll comment on your post if you post something. So you very quickly do find a group of friends. And then we have our Zooms that we organise that are separate and we have ladies and we have mixed. And now there's a gentleman Zoom as well. So with that, they're a lot more intimate and we discuss things and we keep each other just, just as they connected, sometimes we talk about sobriety, but we talk about things that can help too because I always look at those that are further ahead of me and think, what can I learn from them? What are they doing that is still working? 
And you're like me. We've never really tried this before. This is our first shot at it. So there is so much to learn. Look, I'm eight months next week and I can tell you, oh, my God, I learn so much every day about myself, about everybody else. And it's terrific because it's it's super, super interesting. Like I've learned even just so much about you today that I did not know. Um, and, you know, as I said, there's all this, you know, it's a form of trauma. Well, it is trauma, not a form. It's a, it's a lot of trauma unfolding that you really have, you're going to have to deal with to make yourself feel better. You really are. It is there and it has to be dealt with. Do you think you'll seek out professional help with all the things that you've shared today that that's a lot of pain? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I understand the, the pros to it. Um, I mean, my daughter has been in therapy, you know what I mean? And I don't have any problems with it. Um, and, but I know, I know that I know how angry I was. I know how I reacted, you know, obviously with my drinking and everything else. Um, but I've kind of come to a point where I'm, I'm kind of at peace with things. You know what I mean? Um, you know, the fact that I haven't had to drink, you know, the mm -hmm. fact that it's not something that I really need to necessarily talk about regularly anymore or whatever. I mean, I still have some things that are triggers, you know, my stepdad being in the house. That's a big thing that I'm trying to figure out how to deal with. Um, but as far as a lot of the stuff that happened when I was younger, I've, I've come to peace with a lot of it. Um, and I'm, I'm doing okay, you know. Um, so I don't, I don't know if I personally need therapy, um, as far as that goes, I'm, I, it wouldn't hurt, you know what I mean? I'm sure. Um, but I don't know. I just, I have a lot that I do that I stay busy and, you know, I have my focus in, so I, I don't know. I feel pretty at ease about it. I was going to say, I know what you're keeping really busy with. And I'm like you with, the, with therapists. I've been to therapy before and I ended up interviewing the therapist. So it was like, <laughs> you know, what? and I really I've made connections because people who are doing the same thing we do, we're doing get us. I hate to say it, but my husband doesn't get it. I don't really think yours does to a certain yeah. point yeah. that, you know, but these people do. And they are like therapists to me. I'm like therapy for them you know that you can reach out one-on-one. -on -one, there's so much support. Do you not agree in these women's groups? No, that, and that's that's honestly what it is. If I didn't have um, the app and the Zooms, I honestly wouldn't be where I'm at. And to me, therapy is great for, you know, people that need it. But this to me is therapy. Yeah. Being able to get on the app, you know, when we do our breakouts, talking one-on-one, -on -one, you know, it's not always serious. We laugh too, and, you know, which is great. Um, you know, being introduced to all kinds of new music, which is great, you know, stuff like that. And to me, I, I always walk away from it happy and in a good place, you know, um, knowing that I can get on the app, you know, the, that other night when I was triggered, I, while we were all sitting out there, I did have the app open and I was scrolling and I may not have been writing, but I was reading, you know, everybody else. And that kept me level also. And to me, this is what works for me you know yeah yeah I don't really feel going to therapy I really need to um for me personally um because so far this has been enough for me you know and I just feel like I'm in a good place with it I have a long way to go still I know that but I just yeah I'm in a good place with it 
Yeah, I've had a little friend call Rags and she says about your phone and the app because you know, there's so many timelines you can go to every single day, every single month, every single year. There's thousands of thousands of people there. She says, you know what, just take me in your back pocket. And it's true, you know, somebody is always in your back pocket or in your, your purse or your bag at any given time. Yeah. You whip that thing out. I do that. I'll whip it out and two hours have gone and I'm thinking, Oh, but I haven't even got back to so-and-so, so-and-so. I need to follow this, see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But this is global, and it is. It's a global world of friendship and support and love, and it's just something that I have never, ever known, that I didn't think would be possible to come into my life, you know, at 58. That's the age that I am now, and, I, you know, I make friends, but I'm selective with them. And you do find your own core group of friends. You do find your own tribe, and you find your own one-on-ones that somebody automatically becomes, you know, we call them sober sisters to you, or it could be a guy that you get on great with that, you know, you yeah. talk to about. But as long as you're talking and sharing with somebody, because what everything that you share, somebody has been through or can and or has experienced, and you don't feel alone. I think that just takes that whole shame, stigma, everything away. Because all the people yeah. I've met are intelligent, they're high functioning, they're fabulous people. Yes, you do have people that struggle, but that's what, you know, people who are in a better place now like me can help, right. you know, and, and just like when you came on and I didn't know who you were and I was like, terrific, and we're seeing a lot more of the younger ones come through, you know, it's it's just fantastic. I, I mean, I, I couldn't do without the app or the groups now either. I, I just couldn't. Yeah. I don't know what I'd be doing, and that's why I dedicate my time to the Sobertown to help the people out there to get these messages out that you are not alone, you right. know. You know, there's so much that you can go and listen to there. There's so much that can help you. Just talk to somebody. Reach out if you get triggered or pick the phone up and join the app. Do something like that. So I know now, um, tell the listeners a little bit about what you're doing with your time because it's a fabulous thing. I'm involved in rescue. Um, I deal, well, with dogs. For two years, I dealt with a lot of puppies. Um, mostly I was brought pregnant dogs, babies, uh, parvo dogs. I deal with a lot of sick dogs, stuff like that. Get them better so they can be adopted. <laughs> Did you see this they go Oh my gosh. Just jumped on your lap. <laughs> and what's that one's name? By the way, little Dev, what's that one's name? That was, this is King. Yes. Same name as this, this girl talking to you here. I'm King 13. That's that was, my nemesis. That's my little sober, sober buddy there. That was like perfect timing. As soon as we start to talk about it, they all go off. They've been doing good all morning too. Um, but um, now I'm actually, I've kind of calmed down a lot. Being involved in rescue can actually be super stressful. Um, sadly, yeah. when you're helping yeah. saving animals, you still have to deal with people. And there's a lot of assholes out there, pardon my language, but there are. Um, a good friend of mine started her own rescue. She is a senior rescue. And um, like King here, he is actually only four years old, um, but he was red listed. They were going to euthanize him because they just didn't have room at the shelter. Oh, so they, they pulled him, but because he's younger, she has a lot of older dogs with health issues. Um, and so I told her, well, I'll, you know, I'll take him. So whenever she gets in a younger dog or you know, because that's what we do. We look at the shelters. We look at the dogs that they're going to euthanize, um, that we try to pull them off the youth list. Um, 
if a dog's been there too long and they need to make room, if we can take them, you know, we will. Um, that's our biggest goal is saving shelter dogs. So yeah, that's how I got this little guy is, yeah, he was red listed. So we pulled him and um, he actually had a, a chest infection. <laughs> Um, I'm like, it's just hilarious they all know you're talking about yeah them. right and like it's like perfect timing but but yeah so they're everywhere um there's quite a few of them I have a puppy still um I've got one dog I'm helping somebody she had a big old wound on her leg once she gets nursed back to health then she'll go to her new family so yeah that's what I do it's a house it's a house full I've got seniors down to a <laughs> month old so I'm sorry, little Dev. You are not getting rid of King. He is like he's on your lap going. No, we on. already I'm we stuck. already you can't get rid of me. We've already decided he's gonna be a foster fail. He's attached. Oh my god. You know what? You are just paying it forward in bucket loads. It's just beautiful that you are doing all this work. Oh my god, my you just warmed my heart to no end because unfortunately they're not all treated great just like children and just like you know unfortunately this world there is a, a certain amount of cruelty in it but there's people like you that save the day and it's just it's so so fabulous to see so see people you can fill your time up with anything if you want to stay sober just do anything anything you can to stay sober and I, we were talking the other day and I said, embrace something that you used to enjoy doing or even something that you used to enjoy doing as a kid. You know, I was knitting, I've been colouring in. Some people are doing jigsaws. Do you know what I mean? Just anything to do something with those hands to keep them busy. You know, go for a walk, take up a sport, you know, get back to the gym, which I need to do, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> Um, yeah. You know, I'm, unfortunately, I've been going through a bit of the sugar crave, but that's just that's just me. I mean, I just don't do anything by halves, and that's the addict voice in me. Uh -huh. I feel like saying with you, well, you've got 13 dogs or something there. But, the yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of that way. I've always said I have an addictive personality. Anything I can easily just like it becomes a thing and takes over. So let's help these young listeners here. Anybody in the early stages, what have you been doing if you've been getting triggered? What have you learned in the 30 days that are coming up? Well, when I start to get triggered, uh, well, I have a lot of, I get a lot of anxiety. Um, and that's one thing I have to try to get in check because when I'm anxious, I'm like, I'm a mess. I'm all over. Yeah, so I hear you. Um, well, in the beginning, I was, before I started quitting drinking, I was quitting smoking. And I kind of had to give myself a break on that um, because trying to do both was not going to work. So <laughs> my main focus so far has been the drinking. I'm not a heavy smoker. Any now I was, um, but now I'm not, but I've known if I need to smoke, I mean, I do. Um, as far as cravings and stuff, I, I allow myself to have the, whatever it is that I need. I, because I, if I don't, if I get anxious or I get stressed out, if eating a piece of candy or having a Pepsi or whatever is going to help my sanity, then I'm going to do it. Yep. And I don't feel guilty about it anymore. Right. In the beginning I did, like, I felt like I was going crazy, but then I realized, you know what I mean? Focus on the big things first, then work your way down. Um, as far as like people around me or whatever, I was always somebody, even as a kid, I didn't want to ever miss anything. Like my parents wouldn't even tell me if we were going somewhere fun until we were on the road. So 
you know, now, um, if I know I'm getting anxious or if something's getting stressful or whatever, I, I walk away, whether I go get in the pool or for people, they like to go on a walk or I get myself to calm down. And then I go back to the situation or the issue later. I don't continue with it because then I know I'm going to get frustrated or whatever. And then it's just going to lead to worse mm-hmm. things and going and going, you know, so. I'm laughing, not at you, I'm laughing at me because I would get exactly the same way. I would get like, just looking back and thinking, I get myself in such a state about things with my anxiety and worry and, oh, you know, and I'm just laughing and thinking, oh, my Lord. And I wasn't even drinking then. So you can imagine where it got to when the alcohol sort of took over. I was just this anxious, overly depressed. And like you said, um, biologically being wired that way, my sister and my mum was the same and it's in the path. And now I don't have any of that there it's just this whole world on this side of the bridge is so completely different I can tell you so many things that I don't miss Mm. and there's not one thing that I actually really do miss I can't I thought of one the other day but it wasn't even something good (laughs) it was another bad thing really and I thought oh my god that's another one to add to the list there are no benefits all right, 20 minutes of feeling good and then you just chase your next drink and right. chase the next drink. And you brought up a really good point at the beginning too about I got to the stage two where I didn't trust myself. I didn't know when I would black out. Yep. Like is it going to be this drink or is it going to be the drink after? And especially when you went somewhere and you knew you sort of had to try and, you know, if it was a family thing or right. whatever, I don't know. Just you knew when people were watching you, you know, the ones that maybe yeah. you don't always get on well with. And they yeah. know that you're a big drinker and they're just waiting for you to sort of stuff up so they can tell right. everybody about it. Yeah, right, those ones. And so I, and I remember just being so anxious even about that and the mental gymnastics that we, as Polly says, that we do in our head, the planning, you know, yeah. the this, the that. The, the whole thing is like the poor hamster wheel is faster than it you can possibly keep up with and I'm pretty quick. And right. all that now I have nothing. You know, I did a lot of quit lit. I don't know if you've done quit lit and doing everything else. You seem like, you know, you're doing all the social stuff, which is terrific because that's even more important too. Um, and But if the addict voice comes, what do you tend to do? I don't know if you send your husband, I'm hungry. I need, hungry. I need something to eat. Get me some pepsi. Well, oh, yeah, he's been home. It, it's weird. So for some reason the past two days, I've kind of gone downhill a little bit. I don't know why my mood's been off. Um, yesterday I was... <laughs> I was a bit snappy all day and I'm like, well, one thing I've noticed is I have my, I finally got my appetite back and I actually eat. Cause I've never been a big, I, I mean, I would eat, but I'd eat like a quarter of my food and I'm like, I'm done now. I'm like, I eat and I'm, if I don't eat by a certain point, you know, so I'm having to make a conscience effort to make sure I'm eating eat by this time, eat this time. You know what I mean? Don't let myself go too long because otherwise, and then I was like, is my, is it my sugar? So then I drank a soda and then I'm like, is it this? I don't know. But I, I was conscious of it. Like I knew, you know what I mean? I was off. And so my husband, I was like, I don't know. I need something. I'm like, can you just make me something? He's like, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know. Surprise me. Cause I don't know what I want, you know? And, yeah. and yeah, for me, you know, I'll try to eat because um, eating, not eating or whatever now is a big trigger. I am definitely a hangry person. Um, but 
I, yeah, it's just finding that thing. So the past couple of days has been off because I've had such a high lately and I've had energy and I've been up and going and then all of a sudden I'm back down. I don't know why, you know? Um, and so I've been just like, it, whether it's craving or, you know, alcohol has been in my head, I don't know. I mean, it's totally possible. So I've just been trying to attack all those things that I know, okay, well, I ate. Okay, is it my sugar? Okay, is it this or that? Or, you know, I'm like, do I just need to go take a shower, have some one-on-one time? And, and I did yesterday. I went and I took a shower and just kind of stood in there. So I was separated from everyone and everything. So I can just kind of breathe, you know, and, and nobody was really doing anything wrong or bothering me. I, my head just wasn't in it yesterday. You know, today I woke up tired. I'm not angry, but I'm just, I'm kind of just out of it. But that's the big thing is I think I've been finding separating myself and thinking, okay, what's going on? Why am I feeling this way? What is it that I need? And just trying to make sure I'm conscious about it and I know what's going on. Cause it's very easy for me just to fly off the handle and just keep going and I'm gone. I'm gone. It's over. And then I'm anxious and I'm like all over the place and I'm just like, ah. <laughs> so my biggest focus now is stopping myself thinking, okay, what's happening. Don't let myself get to that point where I'm gone. Cause then it's so hard for me to get back. Like that is just, <laughs> let me tell you, you're working through sobriety because it will get better. These are perfectly normal things that you're doing. And you're right, we have a, a gorgeous friend called Tea Lover and she worked out that she could just, you know, get to the point where you hit the fuck it button, you're just like, ah! But yeah. what you're doing is something we call HALT and it's H-A-L-T and it's great. You stop and you ask yourself, am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? And sometimes you can be the whole damn lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it felt like yesterday. And that's I was what like, you're doing. It's terrific. Yeah. I, I, I was, it was one of those moments in the very beginning when I first started, I felt like I was going crazy, but I was also, again, I was trying to quit smoking too. And that's when everybody was like, you might want to just chill out on that part, focus on that. And then I was like, you're right. You know, and, and realizing to allow myself because in the beginning too, I was worried about weight you know, quitting smoking, especially it's that hand to mouth thing there, you know? So then I'm like thinking about gaining weight and then I'm thinking about it. And then so finally you know I just had to stop and just let go. Stop. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, just stop. The only thing, let me tell you, this is what I can give you some advice on because I've put on a stack of weight. The first six months, I just said, do what you got to do as long as you don't pick up a drink. And I ate ice cream, chocolate, Honestly, and I still am, chips. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Give yourself the freedom. Just get that pressure off you because you are right. You're dealing with a couple of addictions yeah. at once here. And they say that smoking actually can be more difficult. The nicotine can actually be just as powerful, if not even just as alcohol. They're right up there next to each other. Yeah. So just eat what you like. I'm serious. Just get that out of the way and then deal with that after your six months. But for now, you're just getting those things under control. And just listening to you, I've been there. I know exactly what you're on about. But you can look at me and say, okay, it's okay. She survived. You know, because right. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I'm like, oh, my God, I was so scared. I'm like, how am I going to do this? Well, you sit with it. And sitting with it and, and actually getting you getting in touch with yourself is such a good thing about knowing and then you'll recognize it the next time and the next time it'll get easier because you'll say yeah shit I am just a bit you know hungry and I'm a bit tired but I'll just get something to eat and I'll get an early night and I'm good 
you know, maybe take, if you've got a bath, take a bath or take a, a nice little walk out in the fresh air or just do something. And I found that that's what I needed to do was have that break, just stop, just halt for a minute because I would get pissed off and I'd be as fast as I was lightning to the fridge and the glass was pouring down my throat before I'd even thought what's wrong with me. Right. So yeah. I had to learn not to hit that fuck it button because we've all got to, We've got no off switch. Our on and off switch is broken. We just go on and that's it, you know, when we're drinking yeah. alcohol. And I know that if I pick up one, what do they say? Well, one's just never going to be enough and then 100 are still never enough, you know, yeah. or whatever it's called. But And that's when I realised, you know, my mum said to me once, you know, the person that has a problem with alcohol basically just can't stop. And even in the end, I my tolerance was high, but I would drink from a certain amount to a certain amount. But I always stopped at night because I realised the only way I was going to live another day was to get a lot of sleep. So I'd go to bed as a, at a reasonable hour, particularly throughout my working life, which was crazy. So I could drink, you know, even two bottles in a matter of two hours, just boom, 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 and go, all right, got to go to bed now. It's nine o'clock. <laughs> See, my husband, my husband can do that. He's one of those if he's drinking and he gets to a point, he just cuts it off or he just goes to bed or whatever. And like I said, he's not really a drinker, but if he is drinking, say there's this event or something, but with me, I don't have that. Once I get to a certain point in my head, I never felt that drunk. But then the next day, I don't remember anything and I feel like I'm dying because I'm so hungover, you know yeah. what I mean? But yeah. during that oh, yeah. time, I just keep going. And to me, I never feel it. And then eventually... Yeah, I just don't remember No, anything. yeah, no, you're right. And the thing was, I had to turn up in front of clients the next day, probably smelling like a brewery, but I knew it was always that, shit, I really have to get up and do this. I Do yourself a favour and just get to bed. But a yeah. lot of the time I was drinking alone too, so there was nobody else keeping me up. Or I was, I had roommates or whatever before I was married, but i just bail and say, look, I've got to go because I'm like that. When I make a decision, I just do it and that's it. So having said all that, I've just said I'm really proud of you. We're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. Is there anything else you want to add before we say goodbye to everybody? Honestly, my biggest thing is like we said, don't feel guilty. Whatever it is, whatever vice it is that you need to help you not pick up that beer or that wine glass or that shot glass, do it. Don't feel guilty about it. Do what you need to do to help keep you sane. Um, when you're feeling certain ways stop and think that's been the biggest thing that I've noticed that's helped save me because again, my, my anger is a huge trigger for me. Um, and stopping and thinking, okay, what's going on? Am I mad because I need to eat? It's something that simple or whatever, you know, just taking that breath, separating myself, thinking, okay, what is it I need to do to fix it, you know, and, and work towards that and fix it. Just being more aware of yourself, you know, is, is a huge, it's a huge thing for me. So I'm excited. I can't wait to see you when you're further down the track. The, the, just what you've learned and just how much you've picked up just in the first 30 days is wild, absolutely wild. And you'll probably be sitting in my chair down the track doing what I'm doing when I'm retired and done. But, I mean, I'm so proud of you. I just want to say that because you're doing everything that you possibly can and I know that you're great support for others that are out there too that, you know, are on the app and so forth. I always see you checking in with people. And like I said, connection, the opposite of addiction, reach out, talk to somebody, whatever you do, do not pick up the bottle 
And remember that our website is there, SoberTownPodcast.com. Just Google it, go to your browser, put it in, click on, have a listen, have a read, get to one of the links. There's something for everybody there. There's so many people now that have told their story. Um, That's what I did. And again, when I was triggered, I would get on there. I'd listen to a podcast. Uh, These are real people. These are real lives. We're raw. We're, We're not edited. We're not professionals. We're just out there hoping that we can help. You guys, like somebody helped us. So I'm going to say bye for now and thank little Dev so much for her time. Thank you for having me. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure, sweetheart. Take care of those dogs. Absolutely. And your daughter and your husband. And as I said, I could not be prouder of you. And for all you guys out there, pour the poison down the sink. Just get rid of it. You don't need it. There's a better life out there. That I can promise you. All right. Well, ciao for now. And please just take care of yourselves. And I'll see you next time on SoberTownPodcast.com.